everyone, and thanks for joining us for Hartman's Insatiable Appetite Podcast, a look into all things food and beverage from a marketing and consumer culture perspective. I'm Melissa Abbott, VP of Hartman Retainer Services, and today I'm excited to share a little behind-the-scenes magic on what makes the Hartman Group so unique. And when our founder, Harvey Hartman, was asked what made our research so insightful, he unequivocally replied that he hired well. And years later, the team that makes up the Hartman Group continues to be comprised of very curious and really smart people. So joining me today and to attest to this fact is my colleague, Robert Hashizumi, one of Harvey Hartman's key quantitative analysis who had his hand in the majority of our syndicated studies and custom research over the years. Welcome, Robert. Thank you, Melissa. I'm glad to be here, part of this uh, amazing podcast. It's great to have you here. So, you know, we've been working together for uh, quite a few years, but how long exactly, remind me, how long have you been at the Hartman Group, Robert? <laughs> yeah, I guess, to be honest, it's been a couple of decades now. I mean, I started in 1998, um, the summer of 98, and uh, I was actually a classmate at UW grad school with David Wright, and David uh, I was talking to him and I said, yeah, I haven't found a, a job yet after graduation. Yeah, I met this guy in Bellevue. He's doing some amazing things in the natural product industry. And we're actually looking for a quant analyst. So if you're not, if you don't have anything else, why don't you come aboard? And that's when I went to Bellevue and met Harvey for the first time in the company. And, and uh, yeah, it's been a great ride. It's been 22 years now. Yeah. 22 I'm years. <laughs> well, I, I like you know we we are not on on uh, YouTube or video right here, but I can. Uh, assure, Robert is very youthful looking. He's a, a young young guy with two teenage uh, daughters, but I will say that he looks very young for someone who's been at the Hartman Group for so many years. And I just want to remind everybody too, um, David Wright is uh, has also been on the podcast before, and he continues to work um, on our marketing team and has a, a vast wealth of knowledge about the Hartman Group, just like you, Robert. So it's always great to hear the stories that, that you two have. Now, tell me a little bit about, um, was the research at the Hartman Group when you first started as, be as beverage food-centric, uh, or was there more of a sustainability focus when you started? Yeah. Yeah, not, not too much into food and beverages, just a little bit, but um, I was first hired on um, to be a part of the vitamins, minerals, and herbal supplements, our VMHS um, tracker study, and that was our diary where we're doing a monthly survey of why people are using calcium, why they're using echinacea, is it for cold, is it for you know, bone health or anything like that, so that's how I first got started, so um, a lot of our clients were in the supplements, nutraceuticals, functional foods industry. So there was some food and beverage uh, clients, but it wasn't as big as it is now. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting to think about how over, you know, about 22 years ago, organic was just starting to burgeon into the industry, just, you know, sort of making that crack. But it was really the supplement industry, as you mentioned, the VMHS industry that was the one that was the powerhouse back in the day um, in the late 90s or, you know throughout that decade and into the 2000s uh, before you know food started to really become the more 
a prominent thing. And now we're seeing VMHS starting again, as with the recent uh, supplement functional foods and beverages study that we did. And you were, you were part of that, that research as well. So has there been anything like over, you know, 22 years ago, researching vitamins, minerals, and herbal supplements, and now, you know, fast forward today with our more recent study, has has there been anything that's just surprised you that's been sticking around? Yeah, um, a couple of things come to mind. Um, one is our world model. You know how we segment consumers into core, mid-level, and periphery? I mean, we first developed that in 2000, and it's been pretty good predictor of consumer behavior over the past 20 years. And we haven't really made much major changes to it. So I'm amazed at how we're still able to predict a core consumer and how they're going to be more likely to be shopping at co-ops or farmer's markets compared to periphery. And it's amazing, like over the, the, the years that, you know, people and, and situations changing, it's, it's still a, an excellent predictor of consumer behavior. So I found that kind of fascinating. Like, I mean, we did, we have tried to update the, uh, our, we call it the segmentation vignettes and we use like modern names like Sanjay and stuff, but we haven't really, we, we tried tweaking a little bit, but um, we found it's been, what well, it did the test of time, so to speak. So that was yeah. one observation. It's, it's just a consistency that we're seeing in consumer behavior that it's such a, it's such, such a simple model, but it's so relevant and we apply it to not just health and wellness, which that's what we started with, but we also apply to the organic food world and also sustainability as well. So, and then another of a trend that I'm kind of amazed at is just the trend towards quality overall. Like people are willing to spend more money for organic foods and even buying a $5 latte every day. It used to be, wasn't all that common maybe 20 years ago, but now it's just like people cannot go without it. But it's amazing that, through recessions and different situations that people are willing to spend extra for better quality foods. And I guess a lot of it is part, partly due to people being more interested in their health and, and wellness because they realize that food is their foundation of their health. And if they're drinking sodas with, you know, sugars and, you know, chips and stuff, it's, you know, their body's not going to reflect that. And so they're not, not going to be as healthy as they'd like to be. You know, I've always been so fascinated to just chat with you um, here and there throughout the years about like what it was that you, uh, you know, you have observed. And and I really think it is important to just kind of, you know, for us to, you know, listen to those who've been around for a while to be able to see like where we've been. Because sometimes, you know, we think like, oh, this is a new trend or this is something new. And, you know, for those of us who've been we're Gen Xers. Let's just, you know, let's just lay it, lay it out there. You and I are Gen Xers. And there are a lot of things that we've seen um, that are coming back again that seem like they're new. And I really think it's interesting how you are uh, referencing our, our world model and how the, the beauty is within the simplicity and how accurate it is, how accurate it continues to be, how we can continue to uh, be able to sort out uh, what consumers are doing, what their behavior and their aspirations are around, you know, just based on our world model, you know, with a couple of tweaks over the years, but for the most part, it really does the job in, in a very 
uh, straightforward and easy to understand way. That's something that I've heard from our clients over the years is how easy it is to understand and how applicable it is. So I, I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah really, it's interesting because, yeah, I'm sorry. Other industries, like, they're always trying to get the latest and greatest. Like, Microsoft is introducing their latest version of software or Google or, you know, car companies that are making battery-operated cars or driverless cars. But, you know, we're just sticking with our our core mid-level and periphery model. Yeah, and it's what's great about it, too, is that it continues to be able to track the consumer as they evolve, too. That's what's so beautiful about it. You know, thinking about some other trends that are a little bit more forward-leaning, I just want to comment on the fact that you've been a pioneer in leading the early quantitative analysis on CBD from the consumer perspective in the consumer industry. Um, and here at Hartman, you, you spearheaded a lot of that. So with, you know, just curious to get your take on with so many product introductions over the last few years, it kind of feels like the market was really flooded. You know, where do you think that the category might be going? Yeah, uh, CBD and, and the entire cannabis industry. I've just been fascinated. I think 2012 was when Washington State and Colorado first legalized recreational marijuana, which was kind of big. It was like the first two states to do that. And uh, you just seeing it starting to CBD, recreational marijuana. And, and uh, I'm just fascinated. Like all these entries going into the food business, uh, with CDs, and we just heard about Martha Stewart introducing her gummy bears. Um, <laughs> we did a, yeah. a, a, a Friday uh, a, a study, our, our report on that, but um, also just, uh, was it Carl's Jr.? They had a CBD burger last year on 420 day in Denver, Colorado. And, um, I'm just seeing a lot more companies you know, it used to be such a taboo, and it still is illegal at the federal level. But, you know, once California legalized marijuana, I mean, California is like the fifth largest. If it was a, a country, it would be the fifth largest um, economy in the world. And so it's kind of, California is legalizing marijuana and more deeper into CBD and hemp and all that. I think the entire country is going to be following. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you, Robert, what your take is on, you know, the consumer and and the aging consumer. You know, we do know that, that the millennials um, are certainly interested in some of the benefits of CBD and, you know, for anxiety and sleeplessness. But, like, what are some of the things that we are seeing? I know that we've been pretty surprised, actually, uh, at the uptick of, you know, baby boomers and their interest in, yeah. in CBD you know, what is it from your perspective that is really driving that interest um, in the the older segment segments of the population? Yeah, that's a good point. I heard even Martha Stewart, one of her yeah. stores, she, she says she takes like 20 gummy bears a day of the CBD gummies. And so I would just say that there's two things to that. Um, one is that it actually does work. I mean, what, she's what, 70, she's in her 70s, maybe. So yeah. I'm sure that you're older. I mean, I'm starting to feel too, but your body starts to ache and your knees are not as uh, strong as they were before. Your back is tender. And so once you get older and older, it's just, you're you're looking for solutions that are going to help with um, both pain and maybe stress relief and anxiety. And the second point is that it's, it's, it's a natural product. It's not a pill that 
derived from some pharmaceutical lab. It's, it's a plant-based product, and you know the tr- you know what the trend is with plant-based anything, foods, and medicines, and supplements. So, I think those two drivers are key for boomers, and um, not just boomers, but anyone who's getting older to try to keep their body in a peak condition and with less aches and and pain as they yeah. get older. Yeah, and it seems like the interest towards something that's a little bit more natural, as you said, plant-based versus, you know, a pharmaceutical or an OTC tends to, you know, without the side effects, tends to be more popular. And it seems like the older consumers be a little bit more willing uh, to try, especially because they're the consumer, the same age group that, you know, pioneered the organic movement. So they, exactly. they do know that like it's food, right? Rather than a lot of the the pills and that kind of thing. It also makes me wonder too. If it's you know we we we've kind of looked at cannabis as this like panacea, but maybe there's like a an opening for more herbs and botanicals um, coming down the pike that could be more specific. Because it seems like from a you know when you look into any trade magazine, it's like CBD is going to cure everything. Whereas maybe you know in the next five to ten years, it might be more specific types of herbs. Maybe in combination with CBD, uh, seems like something that might be uh, more beneficial or something that we might see on the horizon. I wonder what your yeah. thoughts are. Yeah, I could see that. Um, there's all these other supplements that I've, I've heard. I haven't um, experimented too much with them, but what is it like Kraken and some other natural products that are like Kava that help with anxiety and stress relief. Um, so yeah, I could see that. I could see people they just consider any plant pot so much better and especially with cannabis too it's uh you know the nickname for cannabis is a weed because it, it could grow like a weed without heavy uses of pesticides herbicides and fertilizers so people are trying to incorporate more natural products into their life and, and uh, one of the big things i see in the future is, is in terms of sustainability of, of cannabis and you know sustainability is one of our our cornerstones studies that we do and I could see it what I've seen is that anything that is plastic can be made from hemp and you know hemp is such it's just such a you know such a red flag these days a lot of people are trying to minimize their plastic consumption Starbucks ban the use of plastic straws and and people are concerned about plastic water bottles plastic anything right so it's so so demonized and I could see hemp anything that's plastic can be made from hemp. So people are going to look at that and say, oh, well, made from hemp, which is you go in one season compared to plastic, which is made from oil, right? Which takes like millions of years to produce and it's not as uh, sustainable. So I could see, and you also see the hemp industry being backed by kind of big players. Like Mitch McConnell is such a huge advocate of growing hemp and trying to come up the hemp industry. So I could see hemp being a larger player in the plastic and sustainable uh, materials industry, and so of course the uh, you know plastics industry they you know they don't want to see their market share go down. So we'll see an interesting competition for market share. Let's just say. Well, that's certainly a silver lining. I like the perspective on that a lot, and just the fact that it's bipartisan as well is something that. I think we can all kind of, you know, have a, a hopeful, uh, you know, eye towards the future on that. So we'll we'll continue to track that. 
as as we think about packaging and you know use and single use packaging and how that really the, the aspiration towards the consumer is is away from that and there's a lot of guilt around that. Well, you know, I wonder. I'd love to shift gears a little bit and just ask you. You know, you organize a lot of our Hartman internal team trend tracks here, and you know, you're just always really staying positive, staying upbeat. And I, you know, just what is it, Robert, that has kept you so engaged in the food industry and consumer research for all these years? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a great place to work. Um, I work with so many intelligent, amazing folks, and I just learned so much about food. And, you know, everyone eats food, right? So it's such a big part of your life. And before I started working here, I used to be, I, I would be one of those outer mid-level consumers. I drank like a can of Coke every day. I thought high fructose corn syrup was good because it contained corn, right? I mean, I had no idea of what food was all about. You know, I was 20, in my 20s, and I was invisible, right? So... I didn't really pay attention to what I was eating, but you know, then I started working at the Hartman Group and and like, oh, high fructose corn syrup might not be a, a good thing after all. So all these things, like you know, also like Impossible Burger. Like if I wasn't working here, I'd I'd be thinking, oh, maybe it's a good thing because I'm trying to reduce my meat consumption. But we're we're realizing that it is a highly processed food item and. Um, some research that I've seen is like some consumers say that there's higher levels of what glyphosate within possible burger products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're supposed to say that on, on there, but maybe have to edit that out. Later, but. Um, so yeah, I'm just learning about um, what's good to eat. And I think it's, this is adding a few more years to my, my life. So, you know, without working here, I wouldn't be able to try like cricket. You know, we tried to sample <laughs> cricket bison or plant-based burgers it's just a fun place to work and you know eat and drink and that's a big part of my life. I you know that's such a great point because I came to the Hartman group um, you know it's about 16 years ago and I came as a a ridiculously strict core consumer and I think you know on the inverse of that I, you know there are times when I've gone out and um, I'll consistently try things that I never would have, you know, incorporated. And so I learned one of my favorite things is that just like what you're saying, Robert, is that I've been being able to learn from the consumer and learn about their aspirations and where they have challenges and struggles and things that they love, that they swear they, you know, invite us into their kitchens and, and you know, it, it, share their snacks with us sometimes. And it's really exciting. And there have been so many things that I would have thought, oh, that has you know, high fructose corn syrup or hydrogenated oil in it. I can't eat that. But, you know, it's this idea of like hospitality and, and you know, enjoying something and the com- commensality. And there have been times where I've just been like, you know what, throw caution to the wind. And I've really enjoyed the experiences and been like, you know what, a little bit of, you know, high fructose corn syrup or whatever the ingredient <laughs> is, right? It's not right, going to kill me, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, well, you know, it's not going to kill me. And I got to engage with, um, with, with another human being in a way to understand what food means to them. So I, it's really interesting from both sides too. So you, we can get a really good, great, all-encompassing perspective on 
food culture and consumer behavior um, just by working here at the Hartman Group for uh, for these years that, that both of us have. So I love your perspective because it kind of steers one towards perhaps a um, and hopefully a longer, healthier life. And, you know, sometimes for me, too, I feel like it helps me to be a little bit more flexible in in allowing, you know, some things that might not necessarily be like, you know, checking all the boxes. But, you know, uh, who yeah. I really feel like inspired me um, to, to kind of approach food and life in this way was Harvey, Harvey Hartman. Mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. you know, as, as we close out today, Robert, you know, you spent a lot of time with Harvey. I wonder how did he inspire you over the years? Yeah, he was such an amazing guy. Um, I loved how he wanted to pursue excellence as a, as a goal. He wanted to be the best food consulting company but at the same time, also have fun, you know, enjoy, you know, have some gatherings and parties, go to baseball games and have Final Four competitions. Um, and, yeah, he encouraged both excellence and having fun. But also, you know, I watched how he was able to overcome so many things, both in his personal life and business uh, companies. You know, there's so many times when the company was in a little bit of trouble. or I wouldn't say little. It, it was actually... A, serious issues that um, maybe the average person would not be able to overcome, but he was able to take it you know, and just say, okay, this isn't going to, I'm just going to continue onwards and grow this company. And he's just very resilient and was able to um, grow the company and grow the people within the company and take, take us to where we are now, which is, um, you know, as a trusted source for many of the top companies in the world. So, I think that's amazing, and he was just—he's always had my back, and he's—you know—when I whenever I had to take time off to take uh, my late wife to the hospital, um, he was—he'd say, "Robert, whatever time you need, just take time off." And he's so—he's just um, there for you, and knew how to um, treat people, treat the, the people working at apartment groups, and treat everyone like a family. Yeah, yeah, I can attest to that. Um, you know, re- really inspiring. Yeah, I I can echo all of those things, and he really uh, inspired us to do such great work and also have fun. And I just want to kind of like let us just sort of you know bask in that feeling that Harvey uh, has, and you know just kind of engendered in all of us at the Hartman Group, and and it, that that how it lives on in terms of uh, just having a really good time and doing really good work. So thank, thank, thank you, Robert, for, for sharing your wisdom and your experience uh, for over 22 years here at the Hartman Group with me today. I really appreciate it. And I hope that our audience today uh, has enjoyed this uh, peek into the Hartman Group uh, over the years as well. And a little bit about our founder, Harvey Hartman. So thanks, Robert. Yeah, glad to be here, Melissa. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you.